we welcome you to the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. We host multiple opportunities to learn more about the Arabian horse, and we share the breed for horse lovers of all ages. We Love Arabian Horses is sponsored by Markel, the insurance company with Horse Sense. To learn more about the We Love Arabian Horses Foundation, please visit our website at weloveArabianHorses.com. Hello, everyone. This is Dwayne Ezra for We Love Arabian Horses Foundation, and today I'm thrilled to have Lisa Blackstone with us. How are you, Lisa? I'm good, Dwayne. How are you today? Very good, very good. Lisa is a member of the USEF Amateur Rule Task Force. That's one of her many jobs or side jobs that she has in her busy schedule, on top of being vice president of the Arabian Horse Association. Lisa, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to have you this morning, to have a chance to talk with you. But before we get started with other things in the tradition of We Love Arabian Horses Foundation, I need to ask you, what got you involved with the Arabian horse? <laughs> um, I'll make it as short as I can, but basically through my mother, uh, Jean Blackstone, she was raised with horses herself. Um, her dad was a farrier, as a matter of fact. I think that's where she got her uh, knowledge of, of uh, confirmation and so forth. But anyway, she had horses when I was born, and she bought her first Arabian when I was about six years old. Um, she trained this gelding herself, and she competed as an amateur. This was like way back when this in- industry was in its infancy. I mean, wasn't an industry yet. Um, I remember my younger brother was born about the same time, and I'll never forget, she said, raising him and training this horse was very similar. You set barriers and you be consistent. And that's pretty much the truth. <laughs> uh, but we went on uh, later in life and developed Onyx Arabians. We had a, a stallion that we stood and had brood mares and you know, it was a big deal. We had about 125 head at one point, and um, I uh, realized it was making an old woman out of me really fast, and so <laughs> we got out of the business, and I went to law school, so that's kind of how I got to be where I am. Very interesting. I clearly remember your mother as a wonderful judge, and I just have just amazing, fond memories of her, such a oh, wonderful thanks. lady. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. She was quite an is still an inspiration for me. She's still she's doing well and and still uh, has an interest in the sport. She's not as involved as she once was, but uh, she follows me in the show ring still. So good to hear. So good to hear. Thanks. So Lisa, this today we want to talk a little bit about the USDF amateur rules, and yep. my thoughts go to what prompted the evaluation of the amateur rule? Well, so I'd have to say the major driving force, I think, is to grow the sport and make it more accessible to new people. So the the task force is put together uh, by the president of USEF, and he picked people from almost all, certainly all of the major breeds and disciplines under the USEF umbrella. And we all kind of recognize that we, we need to change. I mean, we, you know, we, there was no such thing as social media, for example, when the rule was, was first written. So our scope was to look at all the facets of the rule and see what, you know, what changes were, were warranted. And, and so that's what we did. 
um, it was uh, interesting to talk to so many people from so many other breeds and disciplines that share the same concerns that we have with the, our, our um, industry slowing down and not having as many participants as we once did. So I, I think the driving force, like I said, was we need to grow our sport and we need to bring it up to date with, um, with the modern world. Interesting. I remember I was involved a little bit with the beginning stages of that, trying to bring the ideas or thoughts together that began to mold where we are now with it. Um, yes, you were, we had a couple of focus groups with a group of amateurs mm -hmm. and a group of professionals, and you were in that group of professionals, and we wanted feedback from all of you guys on where you think changes had to to come from, and I was amazed at how consistent that input was from, yeah, from from all of the professionals and all of the different uh, breeds were very consistent. And from both sides, from amateur to professional, did you see a similarity? Yeah, absolutely. There, there was, um, uh, there's a group, the, the hunter-jumper world is not so thrilled with the teaching aspect, and we can talk about that uh, in a minute, but... Um, mm -hmm. Generally speaking, everybody was on board with these changes. Interesting. So the next question I have is somewhat of a loaded question. Um, what can an amateur do now that they couldn't do in the past? Well, it's a pretty major change. And like I was just referencing, it's, it's controversial, but um, it did pass the USDF board. Basically, there are three areas that amateurs can now receive compensation uh, for performing when they couldn't do it before. And those three areas are barn duties, and there's just one little change there, uh, teaching beginner riding lessons and um, doing some, um, some activities on social media. So I'll just take those three things um, uh, one at a time. So barn duties, um, and, and let me just say this, when we, when this group evaluated these changes, we we predicated our approach on what activities to allow by asking this question: Does this activity give this amateur a competitive advantage over other amateurs who are not engaged in that activity? Because that's what we want to avoid. We want to keep a level playing field, and we don't want to create uh, any kind of inequity by doing this. So. Um, we hope that this is going to be uh, a win-win for the sport. Um, so in barn duties, with general groom-type type activities that they could always do in the past, but what we added was lunging. You know, clipping, bathing, tacking, braiding, all of that has always been allowed, but now you can also lunge. And so the thought is that an amateur could help, you know, defray some of their own show expenses maybe while providing some help for uh, the trainer, who is almost always looking for additional help. Um, the second area was teaching beginner lessons, and this is clearly the most controversial aspect of the rule change. The intent is for amateurs to be able to teach up-down type beginner lessons. Um, this is truly, an, again, trying to grow our sport, bringing new people in, um, we got some criticisms from people thinking, oh, my God, this is just going to open the floodgates and just all havoc is going to break loose because, um, you know, our amateurs are now going to be professional 
um, instructors. So we had to put a lot of parameters around it to try to um, get around those um, complaints and, and keep a level playing field. Because we don't want amateurs going out there and hanging out a shingle to be uh, instructors. And so, so some of those um, restrictions are, one, it's got to be under the supervision of a USEF professional. Um, like I said, they can't just go and start teaching riding lessons in their backyard. So it's got to be under someone like you, Dwayne. Um, sure. it, can only, it can only be at the home barn. It can't be at a competition. Um, we don't want amateurs becoming full-time instructors, so we put some limits on it, uh, such as they can only teach 20 hours a week, and they have to keep a log of it. And th that's got to be signed off by the professional and the amateur. So if they're ever challenged, and Lord knows, you know, someone's going to challenge somebody along the way, um, if USEF receives some kind of um, um, information that, that maybe a rule is being broken, then they can, they can help, you can help uh, substantiate the fact that you're complying with the rule by keeping this log. And if USEF asks for it, you have to turn it over and say, okay, you know, here's the evidence that we're compl in compliance. So, so, so when you're when you're talking about a a log, that would involve dates and time yes. given during that week, and and they're only allowed to give twenty hours a week. Correct. Okay. That is correct. Okay. So you know our hope with this change is that it's going to open the door for new riders to get started and and increase the sport. I mean, like I said at the very beginning, that's kind of the the bottom line here. Um, and it allows a training barn like yours, Dwayne, to, to offer more lessons and maybe expand your business so, and hopefully expand the sport. Okay. Um, and then the, the last category, I'll just briefly mention this because it really, I don't think it really applies to a lot of people in the Arabian world, but there are two categories of social media activities that amateurs can participate in now and be compensated and keep their amateur status. And that is being um, a brand ambassador and being a social media influencer. And like I said, when we wrote this rule eons ago, there was no such thing. So this is brand new. Uh, social media influencers have an audience of followers just because they have a certain expertise on a certain subject and people like, you know, uh, listening to this person and following their posts and so forth because they're interested in the same thing. Um, and then brand ambassadors, they just post about certain products that they like, and, um, and, and that's, that's about it. Um, we, I don't know of many people in the Arabian world that are doing that, but there are some in the hunter-jumper world, and that it's been a subject of debate with them for quite a while. So we had to um, address that. And there's a third area of social media conduct that you can't do, and that is being a sponsored athlete. And that's for like Rolex and people that – you know, riders that are getting compensated for competing in big-time competitions. And, again, that's more in the hunter-jumper world than it is with us. But you can't so, do that and keep your amateur status. Yes, interesting. Yeah, the, the hunter-jumper world is so different from our world. It, it is. <laughs> yep, it is. And while we're on that, um, I'll just tell you that, that they did not want this teaching rule to, to go through themselves. And so what we did is a carve-out. So now most of the breeds are doing this and several of the disciplines, but the hunter jumpers and I, I think the dressage people um, don't want it. 
And so USEF, trying to be flexible and trying to, you know, it's hard to have one rule for all of us that, you know, everybody's happy with. So they're not going to permit that in their world, the teaching lessons part. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, but so they all just the other didn't, are. They didn't feel comfortable allowing that because they felt that there would be more abuse in those in those areas? Yes, and I think um, the feedback I remember is, you know, if you're teaching lessons, you're a professional, period, the end. Okay. Um, okay. It was more of a black and white type issue instead of, you know, I, I don't know. But, but we'll see. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was not in favor of it to begin with. When this came up at our own convention a few years back, I was not in favor of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it would just muddy up the amateur rule, and it's already muddy enough. Um, but I think my fear of of muddying the amateur rule was overcome by my fear of the decline in our business and the decline in the numbers of people riding. And if the premise is correct that uh, this is going to bring in new people to our sport, then okay, maybe we muddy the amateur rule, but we get more riders. <laughs> I think it's sure. probably a good trade-off. Sure. I do like the idea of the log. I think that's the key to this, and that the trainer has to be accountable for yeah. what happens within their barn to control and, and protect the, um, the integrity of the rule. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah, that's I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. So going forward, does the task force have any anything more to do on this? Um, yes, and it's going to be interesting because I, in some ways it's it's also very controversial, and that is the definition of family. That is ever-changing, uh, not just in the amateur world and in our world, but in, in all of the world, you know, um, it's just um, it's changing. And so we have to look at that. I know in all of the region disciplines, just like ours, there is some consternation about you know, um, spouses and children of professional horse trainers riding and showing and what they can do and what they can't do. And a lot of them feel as though uh, the spouses feel as though they are um, discriminated against because they can't do things in their own barn that they can go down the street and do in somebody else's barn. Um, And so, you know, there's just a lot to look at and it's complex. It's it's not uh, an easy thing, but all all of us that, like I said, represent so many different um, groups of equine enthusiasts are, um, are struggle with the same thing. And I, sure. I think we'll, we'll be looking to see whether or not that we open that up a little bit more or, mm-hmm. or not. Sure. Um, we, one of the things we did do, and it might be looked at again in the future, and that is uh, changing the, the age that defines a junior. Um, it, it looks like right at this point in time, they're not interested in doing it. And that is changing the age from 18 to 21. Um, I don't know if that would work for the Arabians or not. Since we've got this standalone youth nationals, it, it might be, it might not work for us. But I know that the, some of the other uh, disciplines think it would be great to change the, that rule. And it's, you know, would... I don't know if, if this came up in our, talked here earlier, but I remember something about if an amateur decides to go professional 
at a certain age that they have some variance, uh, time variance, that if they should decide to go back. What? Yeah. Are you familiar with yeah. what I'm talking about? Yes. We, that was another one of the rule changes. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with compensation, but uh, that is the fourth rule change, and that was allowing – that this is to allow for young people to – if they make a mistake, not to pay a big price for it. So, you know, if you are 22 years old and you think, yeah, I'm going to take a stab at being a professional trainer, and you try it for a year and you go, you know what, this is too hard. This is too tough of work. I'm going to go back to college and do something else. Mm -hmm. Um, It allows you to reapply for your amateur status and only wait three months to get your amateur status back instead of waiting for an entire year. That just seems kind of draconian for kids or young adults who are trying to make a decision about their futures. Mm-hmm. Now, this, so this applies to people that are 25 and under. So, okay. And they can only use that once. You can't decide, oh, I'm going to be an amateur. Oh, no, I'm now going to be a professional. Now I'm going to be an amateur. You only have this one-time exclusion from the regular right. rule. So if you go back again and say, okay, I'm, I've tried being a professional again. Now what my amateur status back, you're going to have to wait 12 months. Interesting. I, that's a, I like that. That's um, because yeah. I think there are a lot of circumstances down the road that they, they reconsider um, that it may not be for them because it yeah. is, it is, it's a challenging profession for sure. It is, and, and, and kids coming out of the junior division probably don't realize just how tough it is. They're enamored sure. with the sport and the and show ring experiences and so forth, and then they realize that the day-to-day of, of training horses is, it's it can be grueling and um, <laughs> you know, very different from just, you know, taking a victory pass. <laughs> yeah, I think you found that out early in life, too, yourself. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> So, um, Lisa, how do you see the USEF amateur rule modification helping the horse industry? I know you've touched on some of it. Yeah. I, we've got to make this sport more accessible to more people. I think that's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, the amateur task force can't make it, uh, can't, can't reduce the cost of the this sport. I mean, it, it costs a lot. And if we can help defray some of those costs for these amateurs that want to, you know, um, participate, then great. I, I hope that we can do that with some of these changes. I also hope that the premise is correct, that by allowing amateurs to teach rank beginners, you know, how to post, how to get on, how to get off, all that, mm-hmm. that they can bring more people into the sport. So I'm hoping it opens up our sport and brings in more people. That's, that's the bottom line. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think we're going to be a test case for the, like the hunter jumper people that don't want to do this. Um, we'll, we'll be, they can just sit back and watch and see if it, if it helps. And uh, we begin to grow a little bit more or get more people interested in our sport as a result of these changes, then great. Then they might follow along and do the same, you know, in years sure. to come. But uh, that, that's our I, hope. I agree with you. I think it, it does give a more welcome mat to a young individual that's contemplating it as a career. It, it kind of gets the, the tip of their toe a little wet to see 
just a little bit more of what they're about to step into instead of just diving in blindly. I think, yeah. and, and, it, and parents, even parents of kids that are, are contemplating that, it, it may be more palatable for them to see that happen rather than just taking the dive, for sure. Yeah, right, right. I agree. Yeah. We'll, we'll so, see. Yes, we will see. <laughs> Lisa, I, I can't thank you enough for um, talking with us today. And for anybody that's listening in on this that may have other additional questions or even some suggestions, how can they contact you? Oh, you know, feel free to email me. My email is very easy. It's just lisa at lisablackstone.com. And um, I would welcome any uh, input or questions or any other further discussion about it. I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody. So feel free to contact me. That's very kind of you. And for any of our listeners out there that wish to send us an email, give us an idea of a future podcast, or just tell us how we're doing, our email is hello at weloveArabianHorses.com. Again, Lisa, I can't thank you enough with your busy thank schedule you, to take the time with us. And I'm sure no listeners will find this very valuable information. All right. Good. I hope so. Thank you, Dwayne. I appreciate it. Thank you. All righty. Bye now. I'll see you. Bye. Thanks again for listening today and watch for our upcoming podcasts. We Love Arabian Horses is an ambassador community that promotes Arabian horses with fellow horse lovers globally. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more like it, make sure to subscribe to We Love Arabian Horses on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. To share ideas for topics and guests with us, and to learn more about sponsorship opportunities, send us an email to hello at weloveArabianHorses.com.